Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. First up, I'm very delighted to say, uh, Defence Secretary Ben Wallace joins us right now. Good morning to you, Defence Secretary. Good morning. Good morning to you. Now, um, you're, the, the, the military has certainly played a major role in tackling this coronavirus uh, outbreak. And you've uh, announced today that the military has now uh, got 92 mobile testing units being used uh, to uh, actually get those tests to the front line. How are they operating? Well, first of all, yeah, on any given day, we have nearly 4,000 soldiers. Today, we've got 3,900 out doing uh, support for COVID at, at all levels. Um, whether just testing or whether driving oxygen tankers around the country or uh, right in the heart of the NHS with their logistics and command and control. So the key has been enabling for us. And when it came to testing, obviously the government had its ambitious uh, target of 100,000 a day. And we felt we could step up to the plate and support that. Uh, And mobile testing was the best way, uh, I think, in bringing tests to people because what we saw with the static sites was while there was demand, it wasn't enough to even match the capacity. So what we did was the Royal Engineers uh, set about designing a mobile unit. It's a, a, nothing glamorous, it's a van, but it's divided between clean and dirty. Uh, and they worked out a process in which people could turn up at a site, uh, not leave their cars, uh, drive in and effectively be tested and drive out. And then we... Uh, lent into the challenge, having realised we could do it with a pilot, um, of uh, manning them and saying, I said uh, last week, look, if, if our ambition is 40, let's make it, you know, 100 or 92 or 96. Uh, and we doubled it and delivered it in a week. And um, well, we go to where it's, the demand is needed. Well, you talk about yes, the demand and capacity, and there was a big issue over all of this. We don't want to go over old ground last week. I think the country is very much in favour of moving on. But I think a lot of people are thinking, if this could be done after a target was set and there was this big sort of political embarrassment if it wasn't met, couldn't it have been done weeks and weeks and weeks ago? Well, I think if you remember, and I think uh, this whole COVID crisis, you have to sort of have a good memory for the ups and downs of it. If you remember at the beginning... Part of the challenge was actually getting the chemical testing material, uh, which was in shortage around Europe. And in fact, I spoke with my German counterpart 
who herself uh, was finding challenges sourcing that material. So it wasn't about massive manpower at, at that time. It was about the reagents that we needed. Um, and I think as that came online, as the test improved, and also a test doesn't just start with where the sample was taken. It's, it, it needs the, the lab capacity as well. So you know, Matt Hancock and Public Health England massively increased the labs. We got the testing kits in place. And then as soon as that was possible, pushed out the people in the numbers to make sure we then have the testing kits and the testers available. And, and that's where we ended up with. Okay, and um, and if there is such a demand, and you've now got the capacity, why did uh, one hundred twenty-two thousand people get tested on Friday, but less than eighty thousand yesterday? Well, look, I think there are all sorts of factors. Some of it could be weekends, some of it could be uh, just simply people, uh, you know, who'd been at the front of the queue had had their tests, and and other people had not uh, felt the need. But we'll see. You know, what again? What we see in all of this crisis is it it goes up and down. I mean. Death rates change over the weekend, partly and simply because of reporting, uh, not necessarily because of anything else. Uh, and I think we're going to see that with testing. I, look, I think the key thing is we now have in place both static sites and indeed mobile sites. And that testing is really, really important. It's like the sort of I know, bottom of the, you know, it's the sandwich, uh, it's the meat in the sandwich to allow us to make all our decisions this week that we're going to have to make about returning to work, returning schools, uh, you know, how do we come out of lockdown? And having that base was really important. And I think for many of us, just like the media who were pointing it out, you know, having regional test sites were fine, but but many people can't get there. And so we needed to bring the tests to them. And that's what yeah. the military has provided and this mobile network. Well, let's talk about going forward, because that's what everyone's looking at. Day 42 of the lockdown. Uh, on, on Thursday, we get to the end of our, our six and a half weeks of uh, of lockdown that people have been under. Lots of people were hoping by now we'd have heard an exit strategy from the prime minister. Now we're told possibly not until next Sunday before we get what's called a comprehensive plan about how the new normal is going to work. Um, what I mean, without I realise you can't give you know, exact dates or, 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 you know, very specific uh, answers on this. I understand that and I think my listeners will too but in terms of what we are looking at in terms of a new normal about schools going back about people going back to work about, uh, about public transport and like getting back to normal what sort of things will be happening first what can we start looking forward to and planning for oh, well I think we've all got lots of things we want to look forward to look I, I, I think what we <laughs> the pubs mostly then <laughs> the pubs <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, social interaction, I think, is probably what all of us are looking forward to. Look, I, I, I think the first thing is, uh, as you know, the Prime Minister and my colleagues have said quite clearly, look, the first thing has got to be making sure that the consistent fall in, in the key indicators, deaths, uh, you know, infections uh, around the community consistently continue to fall. And, and you know, the danger is we all sort of push a false dawn and then we end up with a secondary infection sort of outbreak, which would be the worst of all worlds. And at the same time, making sure that the science is consistent and robust. And I think that's that's probably what's feeding into, uh, you know, our timetable. Well, it is what feeds into our timetable. And I understand that it's frustrating for your listeners. But the reality is this week we will make a lot of these decisions. We will make it based on that science. And then we can have a talk about how we do it. And I think I think people, uh, including sort of the opposition parties and indeed 
you know, the devolved administrations is what the first thing we have to have a discussion about is our tolerance level. You know, what is the R level, which is the reinfection rate that we 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 are prepared to live with? And at the same time, what is the sort of infection rate in the community uh, that we are prepared to tolerate? Because that's how the other countries have done it. Once we've had that science uh, and discussion around that, then the different measures will obviously be affected by our tolerance levels. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing in the media is obviously my colleagues in different departments like education or work in, in a, a business are engaging with the stakeholders uh, and asking them their views. Um, you know, the front of the FT today about the trade unions. I mean, that is important process, but we will get this week, uh, I don't want to preempt it, to decision points uh, so we can all have something hopefully to look forward to. And remember, at the end of the week, Julia, it is VE Day, it is 75 years since our great uh, country defeated fascism and the Nazis. And it would have been a great big celebration. It's going to be a more humble one. But it's times like this, we remember the spirit that got Captain Tom Moore through and to where we are today. Well, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned your know, public uh, confidence being, being an issue and what, we, what we'll tolerate as well. But, I mean, is there a problem, though, is that actually the government message has been really taken on board by the vast members and vast number of the public in terms of people staying at home, you know, helping the NHS and, and saving lives. But now we've got to a point where people are too afraid uh, to leave the lockdown because that message has got out. How are you going to convince people when it's safe, not pretending it's safe when it isn't, but when we are level, we understand from Chris Whitty, it's now sort of 0.7 when it is down further and when there are measures that can be introduced that can be safe like for instance bringing some years in primary school back and perhaps some you know, sixth formers and GCSE pupils back uh, with social distancing in schools how are you going to convince uh, many many people that that it is safe for them to come out of their homes well I think I think two things first of all Julia I think you and I belong to the same school of believing that people aren't stupid I think if you publish uh, details and guidance you know, people will follow them. You know, the, British, the great British public don't want this, uh, you know, shutdown to continue. Uh, the guidance will be published. Uh, and at the same time, you know, by communicating with the media and the media communicating with their listeners, I think it's going to be perfectly possible for the public to follow uh, all the different rules. And, you know, that, that, is, that is, you know, something that we should always, I always think about is that the public, they know what to do. Um, and so, you know, the government's guidance, and if you go on the website uh, about coronavirus, the government websites, they're all really clear. And I think we will be able to do it. We'll need to do it collectively. And we need to do it with the media, not against the media. Uh, and we need to do it with the opposition parties and everybody else. But I think it is it is perfectly possible to sensibly come out of this lockdown uh, uh, watching the measures. And if people understand that the R rate is the thing that effectively will will define the pace and the progress, uh, then we can all keep an eye on that R rate. And I will be hoping that we, we make more of it and publish it. But there's a really good statistic I got yesterday, which doesn't really get much attention, which is the number of people going into a hospital who test positive for COVID or who have tested positive, so that, which is slightly different from the, the daily figures published. That's at 956. Um, and that, that, that's been halving every fortnight. So that's a yeah. really good piece of news, which, which people doesn't, doesn't usually get much attention that stat, but that shows that our NHS will be able to cope and it's halving in the community, okay. or it's not halving in the community, it's dropping in the community, which is the right direction.
Just finally, and I know very briefly you have another interview to get to with these busy media rounds, but there's been some talk about a revolt by the over 70s, the, the otherwise healthy over 70s saying they resent being left in their homes if, if and when people of working age and children are allowed out. Is the government prepared for a revolt by the over 70s? I've got two parents in their 80s. Um, if you think the 70s were a revolt, wait till you see in the 80s. Look, I think, Julia, I, I think... Uh, I don't think there'll be a revolt. I think uh, that generation understands the importance of of the rules that will be set. Uh, I think as long as we can communicate with them and support them where needed, but also, uh, you know, there's been a lot of work. The the latest guidance on over 70s was updated on the 2nd of May, uh, which made clear that not all over 70s are viewed as a vulnerable group. Uh, and I think that that is science informed by all the work we've been doing on the virus over the last 42 days. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Boris Johnson hinted last week that we would be asked to wear masks in public, certainly in the public transport and in the workplaces if we do exit anytime soon. Well, discussing all of this and much more, I'd like to welcome my next guest. He's the former Labour Home Secretary and indeed former uh, Education Secretary as well, David Lord Blunkett, who joins us now. Good morning to you. Morning, Julia. Have you got hay fever? Have I got hay fever? No, I've got, I've got a little bit of a blocked nose. Is that, is it, does it sound awful? Do I sound no, unwell? It doesn't sound awful. I'm, I'm just a, a great fear of hay fever hitting us throughout May and June and people sneezing over each other. It's been an obsession all my life. 
So that it's, a, it's, it's one of those fetishes that I have. That is it. <laughs> all my family and friends. That is a very, over, it's a know. very, very good point. I have to say, when I do hear, see people in the streets with sneezing, you think, oh, oh, I hope that is hay fever and not someone <laughs> you know, passing on any bugs. Let's let's talk about, about how things are going to work with this lockdown exit strategy. There's a lot of hope, wasn't there, when Boris Johnson came back uh, from hospital that in his first statements, you know, he would be the person talking about an exit. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, but again, people want it to be done safely. Um, and now we're told, you know, six weeks into the uh, lockdown that we're not going to get hear anything really in terms of a comprehensive plan until Sunday realistically um, now we know we're not going to as Michael Gove said flick a switch and go back to normal but as someone who, who's been involved at the highest level of government for many years under Labour and especially as a Home Secretary um, what sort of what sort of plans do you think will be being discussed right now in number 10 and what do you think will work? I think all the things that you've been talking about on talk radio and others have been discussing on radio and television in the press, all of those things are just common sense normal about what should go first, how do we do it safely, what are the difficulties, and they're just human beings, as the scientists are, and they're taking the best possible advice, but they're taking a bit of courage in both hands, at least I hope they are. In my article in one of the Sundays yesterday, I was saying I was quite sympathetic to them because the balance between dithering and allowing all the measures to gradually erode and for it to be chaos and the decision to just get on with it, that balance is a very difficult one. And I hope they'll take courage. I I was hoping that some of the measures that have been talked about might have been implemented from next Monday, for instance, the primary schools. Too late for that now. So I think the measures are going to be from the 1st of June, aren't they? Um, and to do it incrementally. I think throughout June and early July, we could get back to something according to normal. Yeah, I mean, again, any semblance of, of normal, I think a lot of people would welcome. Well, I say that, but a lot of people wouldn't. According to a poll in The Observer yesterday, um, that uh, actually people are, are really very much not looking forward to coming out of lockdown. And people are very afraid uh, and, and they are concerned. that I mean, fearful Britons insist, as a headline of The Observer yesterday, don't open restaurants, schools or stadiums. Just one in five want to lift lockdown. Do you think, in a way, that is a representation of the success of the government message yeah, about staying home and saving lives? People have got the message quite rightly. I mean, we needed to get the message over the last six, seven, for some people, eight weeks. And in part, it's worked. But of course, it's not sustainable. And we all know it isn't, either economically or socially, in terms of our long-term health. So we're going to have to get a much more nuanced message across. And the message is going to have to be, there's been some real success. We've reduced the infection rate the spread of the infection thank god we've reduced the the deaths from um, the virus we've reduced the impact on the national health service those were the key tests that were laid out we don't know and none of the scientists can tell you what will happen when we start to open up we can observe what's taking place in other countries who are moving more rapidly to open up we can then build confidence. But it is going to be difficult. I think people are full of anxiety. Some people have interpreted uh, social isolation as incarceration. So some people, I'm not talking about those with very severe uh, underlying conditions who understandably have been fearful, but quite a lot of people, we we have, thank God, an an open area very close to where I'm living in Sheffield with my wife and her daughter at the moment, and we were running the dog in the woods, as you would, and somebody goes by with a mask on, 
you know, yes. and as my wife, who, who <laughs> spent 37 years as a doctor, said, the message has obviously missed the target there if people think that this virus is blowing in the wind. It isn't. It's transmitted from person to person, which is why the, the distancing measures mattered. Well, indeed, and, and mentioning, you, you say you know, you, you've not been completely isolating, but you are in the over 70s bracket, with all due respect, the age of 72. There's been some talk about there'll be a revolt from over 70s yeah. if, if we see a lockdown which is allowing younger people of working age and children to come out of their homes more, but not those who are over 70. Do you think that is the case? Do you think that uh, there is, I mean, as former pensions minister Rosa Altman uh, said yesterday on Sky, there is a, almost like an apartheid going on in terms of age? Well, I've been on this campaign since the 16th of March. On the Saturday, Sunday, 14th, 15th of March, Robert Peston managed to get Matt Hancock on a skewer to pronounce that uh, we'd have to treat the over-70s differently. Um, I think we've won that. The British Medical Association this weekend said it was nonsense and uh, unethical. Uh, the man who's organising today's conference that Boris Johnson's speaking at, the international conference, uh, this morning has said that he thinks it's untenable. Um, so I think we're winning that one on the grounds that we don't spread the virus any more than anyone else. Um, we may be more vulnerable as we get older. We are. <laughs> you know, some bright spark a couple of weeks ago on the radio, presented as an expert, um, said older people die more frequently. Well, they do, of course, because that's a consequence of old age. Yes. If you have underlying conditions and you get the virus, you're going to be more vulnerable. I mean, that is just blindingly obvious do you think this is going to be a matter for each individual i mean certainly you know my mother is 77 and and, and you know she's as you know i'm going to you know she goes out and walks her dog um but she she had to got you know, she did have people getting her shopping in but they decided you know what i want to go and do my own shopping i'm willing to take a certain amount of risk i'm going to go be very careful but i, I want to i want to make that decision for myself there'll be a lot of older people who who will say that you know life is a balance of risks and they are willing to take a little bit more than some others well, I'm entirely down to people making logical, sensible decisions for themselves that don't impact on other people. And the fear at the beginning, and I understood that, was that if a lot of elderly people with underlying conditions uh, got the virus, they'd absolutely overwhelm the NHS. Well, we've got a grip of that. Um, it's taken a bit of time to get the protective equipment in place, but we're moving on to the next stage of testing and tracing. Now's the time to let people make those careful decisions there'll be others who say I, i'm really worried about it um i'm worried for my family that's fine with me if you're worried then take the necessary cautious steps yourself but uh, we are free society we've never put up with uh, authoritarian autocratic rule um, and I don't think we will in the near future. So just finally asking you about this uh, this app for, for contact tracing. Uh, we're told some 60% of the population would have to download it for it to be workable. Big question marks about whether the information will be held centrally, whether you know the, 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 the government or any other body would, would know who it was as opposed to people voluntarily looking at their phones and self-isolating after they were told that they had been in contact with someone. Um, do you think there are massive privacy and civil liberties issues there, or do you think that the vast majority of the population would just say, you know, you can invade my privacy, thank you very much, as long as I can actually get out of my home. Well, of course, a lot of people, particularly young people, allow their privacy to be invaded yeah. uh, already in terms of where they are, what they buy, um, tracking that for advertising and for sales per marketing purposes. I, I think it's worth an experiment. My, my own feeling, talking to 
directors of public health at local level is this needs to be localized much more. There are um, literally thousands of volunteers ready in my own city of Sheffield. They just need the go-ahead and the organization to be part of that tracing, not, not relying in, uh, on technology alone, but actually identifying who's got it, where did they get it from, who else is vulnerable. We could do that very quickly within the next three weeks. We could get that in place because there's a hunger for people to be helpful at local level. We need to build on that hunger to volunteer, to commit, to look after each other. That might be, just might be, um, a benefit that comes out of this, that people's commitment to each other, their social interaction will return, but in a more positive way than in the past. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. A new intelligence dossier that is uh, doing the rounds of the Western allies has accused China of lying about the origins of the COVID-19 virus. Let's talk about this with the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, Tory MP Tom Tugendhat. Good morning to you. Morning, Julia. How are you? Uh, look, uh, very well indeed. So, look, we, we pretty much knew, did we not, that the Chinese have done a cover-up. They've been uh, they're trying to keep their own scientists uh, um, quiet and uh, and covering up the uh, where this virus came from and how it spread. But there is now more and more evidence, isn't there, mounting that it wasn't even from the wet markets with these live animals and and and, uh, and dead animals together, exotic species. Uh, but it, it may well have come from a Chinese laboratory. Tell us more. Well. This report, as far as I've read it, and admittedly I've only read the public stuff, I haven't read anything that's been prepared secretly, appears to really just repeat what we already knew, which is um, possibilities and probabilities rather than facts. But look, maybe there's more in the secret bit that I haven't seen that's possible, of course, um, but, it's, uh, but it's still a pretty vague report. So, I, I mean, I, I find myself limited to saying the same thing that I've said before to you, which is... This clearly came out of Wuhan. It was clearly mishandled very early on by the Chinese Communist Party in uh, Wuhan. And uh, since then, uh, there's clearly been a series of cover-ups designed to protect the regime rather than protect the people. Now, the question as to where it actually came from, whether it was wet markets or laboratories, is still really vague. And on one level, you could say, well, this is something for 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 the investigation afterwards. Well, it it isn't, actually. It's for for us to know now. And the reason it's for us to know now is we need to know the origins and the transmission of this disease so that we can find the cures and we can find the vaccine. And that's why China's cover-up now is not just about, you know, minor embarrassment for the Chinese Communist Party. Well, that's, you know, frankly, that's none of my business. It's about the protection of the British people. And that is my business and it's all of our business. But didn't they release the genetic code? I mean, certainly much quicker than they released the codes for, for previous epidemics. And again, still far too late. But is, is the worry that actually they've released the wrong genetic code? Uh, nobody has any idea whether they've released the right genetic code. Oh, this is, yeah, this is the issue. The, the, the problem is that what, what we've got is we've got a government that has consistently lied, that has put its own people at risk. You know, this isn't, this isn't about blaming the Chinese. The Chinese... Uh, scientists have been heroic. The Chinese doctors have been heroic. This is about blaming the Communist Party of China. It's not the same thing. This is not about blaming a country. It's blaming an organization and a system of government. And the, and the real problem we've got is if we do not find a better way of uh, sharing data and, and making sure that we all have access to the information we need, then we're going to find ourselves scrabbling around for months and months and months when actually we could have been working together a long time ago. And that will cost not just hundreds of thousands of lives possibly 
but also uh, it will cost uh, you know many lives in the future because every uh, economic dip costs lives, as we know. It costs lives in you know lost treatments in hospitals because do we can't afford the care and, and further. Really, do you think, just finally, uh, Tom Tuchenhout, that we will actually end up seeing uh, some demands for reparations? We've already seen some major lawsuits being launched against the Chinese. Of course, I mean, there's nothing to actually force the Chinese uh, to pay up. But do you think there may actually be a cause for some sort of reparations to the West? Yes, certainly, if this is the case that, I mean, they could have closed down the wet markets and have been told to do so uh, many, many times. But if it does come from a, a, a lab, then there is absolutely culpability and liability, isn't there? Well, the uh, the wet markets have been, I mean, many people have been calling for them to be closed since the SARS outbreak of 2003. In fact, the Chinese government has been calling for them to be closed. It just so, so happens that a totalitarian dictatorship that can arrest every religious believer in a uh, thousand miles in all directions can't seem to close down open and public wet markets. Yeah. seems to me they, don't, they can't be bothered, really. Um, the, the real challenge is how do we manage to get through this? Now, uh, I don't think reparations are going to be particularly helpful. Um, uh, you know, I think what we really need to do is to, is to try and get the Chinese government to be honest. And as I say, this is not about the Chinese people. This is about a single form of tyrannical government that has put the entire world at risk. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment, and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.